You are listening to the Film Festival Secrets Podcast. My name is Chris Holland, and joining me today is Charles Judson of the Atlanta Film Festival. Hey, Charles. Hello. So, what's going on? Uh, in the middle of submissions and uh, programming for the 2013 Atlanta Film Festival. And so, programming, that's your job? Yes. And what does that mean? It uh, pretty much means uh, both managing the logistical side of the, pro- the submission process of things coming in, but more importantly, managing our screeners and my fellow programmers to narrow down all our submissions to the selections for next year and trying to figure out the things that we can do and attach to some of the films we have coming in and trying to find those film- those films that kind of make the festival, you know, the opening and closing night films and... Um, trying to make sure we uh, achieve our mission of both giving audiences a, a really great festival, but also being a uh, showcase for filmmakers on the festival circuit. How long has the festival been around? Uh, next year will be our 37th festival. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize it was quite that old. <laughs> I, but, you know, that, yeah, it was, okay, the 80s, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the 80s are longer ago than um, I remember. Yeah. Or it feels like to me. <laughs> Anyway, so you guys uh, end up with a few thousand movie watchers who Mm -hmm. come and see your movies. Mm -hmm. How many films do you generally get submitted to you? Uh, It's actually been growing. Uh, For a while, they were around about 1,800, and then last year it grew to 2,300, and this year we're on track to hit by about 2,500, 2,600. So, yeah, I don't know where that's going to top out. Right now. <laughs> okay. So 2,000 plus. <laughs> but you've got to get them all watched. Yes. Yeah. Um, what's the what's the breakdown there? Is it mostly shorts, mostly features? Uh, it is it is a huge chunk of more shorts, especially narrative shorts, because we are an Oscar qualifying festival. So I would say probably 50 to 60% of those are going to be shorts. So explain what that means, Oscar qualifying. Um, there's a couple of festivals uh, and a couple of events, but mostly festivals around the world. Um, and there's about two dozen plus in the United States um, that if a film, a short plays that festival and wins their competition, um, it uh, qualifies them to be on the Oscar shortlist. It doesn't mean that they actually get nominated. Uh, most people don't realize you have to submit and then uh, you submit a narrative short or an animated short and then from that they pare it down to the short list and then from the short list they actually pick the three to five films that are actually going to compete for the Oscar um, and so there's quite a few festivals you know there there's some that a lot of people don't a lot of people know about um, like the obvious ones like Sundance um, and South by Southwest but there's a kind of a lot of real great festivals around the country like Cleveland and other places that are also Oscar qualifying. So as a filmmaker, the point of submitting to an Oscar qualifying fest is to hopefully buoy your chances of, of getting some recognition. Yes, it is one of your, it is a definitely a good shot. I know for us, 2001, we played the, the accountant and qualified here and actually won the, uh, the, the short Oscar. Cool. And we actually qualified, I think in the last... At least since I've been here, I know since I'm gone on year six, I think we've qualified four or five films for the the short list mm-hmm. that that um, uh, that actually have made it. Then get then went and got nominated, got nominated. and or won. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Right on. So, what is your typical day like at this point? Is it a lot of movie watching, or I mean, 
you're getting pretty close to your deadline. So yeah, yeah, we're getting close to our December seventh deadline. Right now, it's definitely it's really starting to now really start to pare down and see what what our festival possibly looks like. Um, you know, one of the things we do for shorts is we always program thematically. You know, so it's starting to kind of see what themes we're kind of see um, show up. Um, also trying to uh, see what niches we might be missing. You know, because you're you know you're relying on submissions, um, and when you get twenty six hundred, you're going to get a good swath. But at the same time, there's always going to be places where you're going to be still lacking. You know, one of the always the hardest parts of programming is you know we always want to program more features that are directed by women. Like we're, we're going to always get tons of shorts. That's no problem. Uh, doc features, um, but narrative features. You know, that's one of those kind of hard. You know, it's hard to fill that out and as a festival that was started by an organization that was meant to support filmmakers that's always a big part of the mission so that's kind of what I'm going into now is starting to look and see what our festival look like and what's the possibility because we're going to essentially take 2600 films pare that down to about four or five hundred that are like the real like in contention films and then from that boiled out down to 150 to 200 films that are going to be the festival. Um, kind of have to start looking at that now. Um, and, and we're now starting to reach the point where we're going to slowly, we've changed it up a little bit this year. Um, usually we always used to usually invite all our films at once. Um, now we're going to go to, this year starting to go to a model, we're going to start inviting films, you know, a couple at a time and, and work our way through into December, both to kind of help us... Um, mainly just logistically on our back end that trying to manage that many filmmakers all at once is always kind of difficult with all the back and forth and you know this way we can kind of work our way through um, and not make it so difficult <laughs> okay. that's interesting that breakdown of uh, women filmmakers um, that plenty plenty of women are making documentaries at feature length plenty of them are making shorts but they for some reason don't always get up to the level of uh, you know, narrative feature. Um, and I don't think that's something a lot of people are aware of. Um, I guess I'd have to talk to a bunch of women directors to, to try and figure out why that happens. I mean, do you have any insight into that? Uh, a couple. I would say one is just the easiest is the money situation because for docs, it's much, much easier to get grants and to find funding for docs. Mm -hmm. um, it's also docs are in some ways a little bit easier to get started. You know, compared to and, and to actually at some point probably complete um, compared to uh, narrative features. Um, I, I also think there's, uh, but I also I'd also say I think there's also a little more natural uh, overlay with like other nonprofits because a lot of uh, a lot of people kind of work in these special interests, and I think that makes a big difference. But I would say one of the biggest influences to me that I've kind of seen just from looking at Atlanta and looking at other cities is I, I just think it's just when people start sooner. I think I've seen almost all the male directors I know who really are really good um, all started when they were like 12 and 13 whereas uh, you know picking up a camera and running around whereas uh, so many of the different programs we've been involved with over the last couple of years you know like when we ever do like a women's directors program I mean, the median age is almost like 40 plus, whereas opposed to if we did it for guys, it's probably going to be almost 10 to 15 years younger. And, you know, and so I think they're, one of the things that we've kind of noticed that we feel like to have to do a better job of encouraging 
young women, you know, especially like who are under the age of 21, to really be interested in directing and consider directing. A lot of what they do is they go the the actor, producer, director route, whereas most guys just go straight from I just want I picked up a camera to I want to be a director. Most of them don't go the direct go the actor route. But amazing, it's amazing the number of women that that's their their route. You can even see the films that have the last couple of years that have done very well. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, some of the films that have done very well uh, the last four or five years, you'll notice how many, like, you know, Sarah Polly and other people, like, they're all actresses that went into directing. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of them started uh, directing, like, at the very beginning of their career. Yeah. Well, and uh, it's so unusual that, mm-hmm. you know, someone actually made a documentary about <laughs> a young woman director. Did, did you see Zombie Girl when it played? A no, few years no, back? no, but I remember it, yeah. Yeah, and that, I mean, uh, Zombie Girl is a documentary about a 12, 13 year old young woman in Austin, Texas who um, makes a feature length zombie movie. And she's actually, I mean, gone on to continue making movies. I think she's 18, 19 now, and um, uh, made a feature called My. Sucky Teen Romance, I think mm-hmm. it was called. Yeah. Um, which got picked up for distribution, and she's doing, you know, uh, fundraising for her next feature. So, you know, I mean, there are definitely those lone examples out there, but when it's so unusual that uh, someone thinks this is a good documentary, <laughs> you know, fodder, you know, okay. Well, this, yeah. given that we're, you know, two dudes talking about women <laughs> filmmakers, there's probably not much further we can go without. <laughs> Getting too sexist about it, so <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> um, tell me about uh, some of the the niches and content areas where you know you can pack a theater. Like, what is special about Atlanta audiences? What do they come out to see? Um, well, we're always good for like just the shorts blocks, especially mm-hmm. when we um, what, like I'm actually like bringing back one block this year for next year that we didn't do for 2012. Um, it's the other world section, which is just sci-fi mm-hmm. and horror, and it's and um, we've gotten really strong films. And you know, last this year it was kind of like wanted to focus on something else, and like the audience feedback from people was like incredible. That were like, what happened to the other world section? What what that was one of my favorite. So you know, bringing that back. Um, the uh, we've always been known for a while as, as a good place for experimental film. So we're actually building that back up this year. There's a lot of groups in town that have been um uh that we're working with so that's like that's actually a huge interest um but we're also just a very strong supporter of just genre films in general so like horror films we've always long before i think a lot of other festivals were really starting to play it uh, outside the you know fantastic fest and other places i think we were one of the first mainstream festivals to really like champion and and be interested in programming you know offbeat sci-fi and horror films those do really well here yeah you guys played cabin in the woods last year right yep yeah cool how'd that do that did incredibly well i sure and and it's always great to you know see so many people who have never been never been to a film festival before um uh, you know that's that's um, one of the other reasons why we like playing genre films and playing films like that um because i think it helps us continue broadening the definition of film as opposed to having it exist in this kind of indie this indie box you know where people only see it as like oh it's this quirky it's it's either a quirky comedy or you know it's a deep heartfelt drama right you know 
it's hard to it's hard to market those. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> filmmakers don't really think about that part of the selection process where here you are, you've got you know ten films lined up in front of you, and you can only pick one. Mm-hmm. And you love all of them, let's say, equally, right? Yeah. And now you've got to start thinking about, okay, well, which one will sell the most tickets? Which yeah. one has the audience already well-defined? They've already self-organized. <laughs> I know that if I get the attention of one of these people, they're going to blast it out to their mailing list, and you know that's going to be a snowball effect. And you know, horror and sci-fi fans... Pretty much, you know, especially in Atlanta where you have Dragon Con, which is huge, yeah. right? I imagine one email out to the Dragon Con list that says, we're going to have Joss Whedon's latest movie, like, <laughs> like, you sold that out, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you're a filmmaker and you, you know, you want to get selected for festivals, it's a really good idea to help festival programmers realize that you've identified that audience, that you can get people to turn out in their market for your film. This is a lot easier with you know th- things that have clearly defined you know, documentaries yeah. are almost universally easier to market at least in terms of finding the audience. Yeah. Now, not everybody wants to come out for a doc as yeah. opposed to a narrative, but you know it's a lot easier to figure out who the audience is for for a documentary than for most you know mainstream narrative features. Yeah, that's a that is one of the things that we have to greatly keep in mind it's also uh, the other reason why we love that genre, those genres those because also a lot of times those filmmakers are just having fun you know and it comes across in their films and when you're trying to create a film festival that has festival in the title you're trying to give people like an awesome experience where you're going from movie to movie and it doesn't mean every horror film is like it's a jokey joke horror film or the same thing for sci-fi or the comedy but you know it's just that that when you can walk in and you feel like you you're watching something that somebody really truly put their heart and soul in it in a way where you can connect with it, it makes a complete and you know it's a huge impact on the perception of the festival when people walk away and it's not just I'm coming to eat my broccoli. I'm not just here to support indie films. Because right. to be honest, I think that's the, to be uh, my perspective is I'm not really interested in saving indie film or anything else. I mean, the only reason I got into this years ago is because I liked watching tons of movies. And for most people, that's what they are. They're not actually, the audience, to me, the audiences are not that radically different. You know, the perception is an indie audience, you know, is completely different from a mainstream audience. But, I mean, if you actually talk to most people, they went, if you, you know, if you went to Sundance and saw films, you went to go see Avengers last year. Right. You know, you went to go see Dark Knight Rises. You you're right now probably geeking out on over Iron Man three when the trailer came out. There's not to me that radical of a difference. And the more we try to make that difference, I think the more it hurts not only it just hurts everyone personally. Right. No one wins. Right. Yeah, there is I'll agree there's some perception that, you know, indie films are somehow snooty or haughty or you have to be really smart to watch them or whatever. Um but I think the fact that so many cool genre films are coming out of festivals is doing a lot to combat that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that there are a lot of festivals, I mean, we talked about Fantastic Fest briefly a, a few minutes ago, but yeah, like that's a festival that really is just a nonstop party mm-hmm. that happens to be focused on, you know, movies. Yeah. Um, one of the things that festivals are good at is focusing on films that 
you know, have subtitles. Yeah. Like, Fantastic Fest is not afraid of films with subtitles. Yeah. And so you get to see these incredibly cool, <laughs> you know, mystery and crime thrillers and whatever else out of Denmark. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, Norway or whatever. It's just, it's mind-blowing how good the movies are out there beyond, you know, just the, the English-speaking spectrum. Um, and I hope hope you guys get a chance to you know to focus on some of those as well. Yeah, yeah, because I use my I use my sister, my mom as as good examples because they're the type of people where all the time they'll see something and it will be one of those type of films. And you know they saw it at home on like Netflix or something. And like I saw this amazing film from blah blah blah, and it was like I didn't think I could sit through it, and it was like yeah, <laughs> that's why I do this. <laughs> yeah. So talk about. Uh, some of the trends you see coming across the the submissions. I, first, I want to talk about submissions formats. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a big push from Without a Box, which is, of course, the, you know, giant submissions engine for mm-hmm. practically every festival out there, except South by Southwest, I think, is one of the few big holdouts. Yeah. Um, Without a Box wants you to digitize your movie and put it up online, and you know, in their little curated system where yeah. only festival programmers can look at it, um, as opposed to putting a DVD in an envelope and sending it by mail. Uh, what's what are sort of the ratios there of of digital to, and if you can break it down by short versus feature, that'd be great too. Um, I haven't really seen the short versus feature, but I do know like we're it's pretty. I think right now, the last time I looked. I would say it's probably about forty percent of what we have is online. Maybe even it might even be higher than that at this point because that's actually was from me looking like a couple of like weeks ago, mm-hmm. a couple of months ago, um, and that's where we we're trending. So we're, I would say we're definitely probably almost, if not at half, we're pretty close to half and half right. with DVDs and online screeners. Um, Why do you think filmmakers would? prefer to put a disc in an envelope. I mean, uh, not being someone who's submitted a film to a festival recently, um, I would think, you know, online's easier. I don't have to put anything in the mail. It's cheaper. I mean, they do charge you a fee, but it's it's on par with, yeah. you know, it's less trouble. Why, why do people still send DVDs in? Uh, a, a, a couple of main reasons. One is just still quality. I mean, not to bad mouth without a box, but the quality is not as good as DVD mm-hmm. um, or Blu-ray, which we actually ask people not to send Blu-rays just because a lot of our screeners don't actually have Blu-ray, Blu-ray players. players. There's, for a lot of us, we just like, there's no point in getting into a format that really is still iffy. Um, some filmmakers, it's, you know, it's, it's, it is definitely cheaper, especially for foreign filmmakers. Um, you know, paying that three dollars, whatever it is, to upload is infinitely cheaper than trying to get a film uh, sent from New Zealand or some other place where it's still gonna, you know, it's gonna cost them twice as much. Right. Uh, or you know, if you're coming from certain countries, you're not even sure your film is gonna get here. We right. probably get four or five emails, you know, every submission. And so we, and that's the ones we get. So we don't know which ones that we haven't got where a film is stuck in custom somewhere. Uh-huh. You know, and that's happened quite a few times. Or in some places where there's suddenly a civil war, which happened with one of the films this year, where one of the filmmakers, both the filmmaker and the company emailed us and were like, we're so sorry. You know, the film isn't, we're not going to be able to send whatever this package that we're supposed to send to you because there's basically... No mail service. There's no mail service. Everything is shut down. Um, so yeah, that's the, the, I would say that's the main, the 
that ease of use, um, you know, being able to upload that and, and know it's there. Um, I know for a lot of filmmakers, that's what they like. Yeah. How is that as a viewing experience? Um, you know, I, I definitely would say uh, I would like the quality to be a little bit better. But at the same time, I like the fact that I pretty much don't have to lug a bunch of DVDs around. I can pretty much watch. I mean, I, I just have to be anywhere with a decent enough internet speed, which means I can be watching films at an internet, you know, at a, a cafe. You know, I can why watching it at home. I mean, pretty much anywhere I have a free moment, I can pull up my laptop and you know burn through them. It's also it's much easier for us when we're trying to work with screeners mm. um, because we don't have to bring you know you don't have to have worry about people coming in and dropping you know bringing DVDs in right. and dropping them out. And Whereby screeners, you mean and, the people who are doing the watching? Who are doing the watching as opposed to and, the physical DVD itself. Yeah, because I mean the other thing is you know like you, you know and I know that this will freak filmmakers out when they hear this, but you know like there's a lot of times where. You know, screeners have all the best intentions in the world, but, you know, like, they have lives. And, like, you know, when your kid gets sick for two weeks and, you know, it throws everything out of whack and then you don't watch those DVDs and they're just sitting there, you know, we're trying to get them back because, like, they need to be watched. Mm. It's like it's just sitting there, you know, and, like, you're you're feeling bad for a filmmaker because, like, they don't know that know that side, but you're like, you know, like, man, we got to get these DVDs back. It's like we're getting... We're getting close. I mean, I will say three, four years ago, uh, yeah, four years ago, we had one screener who literally brought his DVDs back the night me and that current the current program at the time, Dan, were making final selections. And so pretty much I was watching 10 DVDs till 3 o'clock in the morning because they had not been watched. And if I had not watched that, there is actually one doc short in that batch that actually got programmed into that year's festival. Um, so online screeners to me, that's one of the things that kind of helps a lot is having that. It's also the fact that the, the DVDs still fail from time to time. Yeah. Uh, a lot of filmmakers are new. So even though uploading is very difficult, um, we still got a lot of films with the DVDs where they're not encoded properly, you know, or there's not actually nothing on there or there's, or there is just basically just the data reference file. So if you're doing like Final Cut Pro or something, Mm -hmm. it's just a file that references the data. Right. It's, but it's not the actual film. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What about uh, content? Are you seeing any particular themes in uh, in the films that you're seeing or subjects that are getting covered a lot? Um, there's one like niche that's kind of coming up the last couple of years that I've kind of found interesting. Um, we've been getting more and more of the disease docs. Interesting, as in you're interested in them, or interesting is like, it's interesting that you're seeing more of them. Uh, It's just interesting to see more of them. Uh Um, I would, I would like to say, I wish a lot of them were a lot stronger. I think a lot of them are too focused on the disease. Describe what you mean by disease, doc. uh, It's it. It all ranges from mental illness, you know, so something specific, very specific, very specific mental illness. um, uh, You know, to physical disabilities to, um, you know, elements that we all get, but people don't really sometimes know more about, you know, like mm. an example, I'll just use me myself as an example, like I'm diabetic, so somebody would do a doc on diabetes, you know, so something like that. And, and a lot of times it's it's more, you know, the people are trying to make them quirky, some people are trying to make them quirky and funny, some people are really trying to educate people about the impact these diseases have, but there's not really a story. that, And that's the big a big problem with a lot of them that they're um you know if you're interested in that like for me 
yes, I, I the diabetic, you know, the a couple of years ago somebody um showed me a diabetic doc. It wasn't one submitted for the festival. And I was of course interested because I'd just been diagnosed as di- diabetic. But you know, they asked me like if that was something I would have ever programmed to the festival. I was like, no, because that's not we're programming for a general audience, and so unless you already have an interest in that particular topic, if there's no character arc, if there's no story arc, if there's no le- if it's not used as a lens, because I think there's sometimes what you can do is you can hyper target something, but it becomes this lens that allows you to to extrapolate out and you think about other things, you know, that like how it relates to other parts of society or how it relates to you, and then so like yes, it may not be something you're familiar with but the way the story is told you're like oh yeah this is just like my grandma what my grandmother went through and how it impacted us this is exactly what happened to my sister it's not the exact same thing um so it's been very interesting to see that the rise of that and i don't know if that's because it's we're, in a, we're living in a post Coleman, you know world where we've had so many different organizations that have been dedicated to highlighting diseases and people are kind of seeing those and want to do it apply it to the film world or what? Um, I do think in some ways they probably, for some of these, they probably better focused on not doing a doc and maybe trying to put that efforts elsewhere. Because like on the festival circuit, I'm not sure how far those films are going to ultimately travel beyond maybe a few niche festivals, which probably are the places where they already know, like you're going to reach audiences that are already pretty much already educated about this. Well, I think in a lot of ways there are. Um organizations out there who are producing these films, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's put out a film, and that way we can draw more attention to our cause without really thinking what it, what's required in making a good film, and not just an infomercial for, mm-hmm. you know, eczema, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? Yeah. Um, what are some of the weirder doc topics in the disease category like is, is there any are there any just super weird and you're like oh my god i can't believe somebody made a film about that no not really because the, the work with me charles come on I, i'm really i'm trying to think of something no i mean like, yeah there's i mean there's some ones like some obscure ones you know um i'm trying not to say too much because i feel like i'm afraid of of reveal too much about the films that we've been submitted to us this year so i don't want to dump on them on a podcast um but yeah, they're a topic. Come yeah, on, come uh, on. Uh, oh, well, like, well, actually, this is one we've actually gotten multiple times. So this one I can actually mention. So like, we've actually the last three years have gotten multiple uh, documentaries on dyslexia. Um, you know, and you know, and that's a topic that's you know that's been like you know ever since the eighties, and uh, you know, when Theo and the Cosby Show got you know like you know it got national attention then. So, but yeah, that's one that kind of shows up over and over again, that one. Um, dyslexia. Yeah, dyslexia. People really want to get the word out about dyslexia. Yeah, you know, and, and, and it's true, and it's very interesting because, I mean, almost every one of the docs always, you know, highlights how many very famous people, past and present, mm-hmm. have it, you know, or it's like Albert Einstein and, uh, you know, um, Thomas Edison and, you know, and all the current people, but... Um, once again, it's one of those topics where, you know, it, it might work better probably as like 10, 15 minutes. And not a 70, 80, 90 se- minutes. Se- yeah, 70, 80 minutes. And it's also just because usually, once again, there are, you know, like that that episode of The Cosby Show works because we've watched Theo for several years. And the funny thing is, like, we've laughed at the fact that, you know, before that, the first three or four seasons, you're, 
he's like, you know, his dad, you know, uh, uh, the family's always been like, you need to do better. You need to be a better student, Theo. And then suddenly, you know, in the fourth, fifth season, you realize the entire reason why he's a terrible student is because he's dyslexic. He's dyslexic. And I, I remember actually at the end where he gets excited about the fact that he now understands why he's a bad student. And I remember as watching it, how I actually was with him excited that yeah you figured out what was wrong like you've been laughing at him but like oh and i think that's what once again that just that lesson you want filmmakers to take is like i'm with that story when it happens because i know the background of that character um when you make the disease the character like that's kind of impersonal yeah there's no connect i mean what connection am i going to have with that particular disease right um you know it's it's not to downplay it, but it's basically like that disease of the week, you know, from the old soap operas or something <laughs> where, you know, unless, you know, like, well, you know, knowing the only reason why you care is because, like, it's the person. Like, no, it doesn't care what they, they can make it the most radical disease ever for the character, you know, that doesn't exist in anywhere in the world, but you're in it, you're not cared about the truth or fiction, of, you know, of it. You're just with the characters, and I think, you know, you don't want to fictionalize a disease, but, you know, you still got to find some way to cook us and get us involved, especially if you want if you want to use it as something to make change. Um, so I was interested a couple of weeks ago, I was reading online about uh, nonprofit organizations, and they talked about the impact of when they showed a group of kids uh to people that um, you, you think like, oh, if you show all these kids, you know, like who really need money, the more you show, the more the money will go up. And no, like they, actually the money goes down that gets donated. But when they focus and make a program around one kid and don't worry about telling about the other maybe 200 kids they help and they just tell the story of one kid, suddenly the donations go up by like 20, 30 percent instead of dropping 20, 30 percent. Mm. Interesting. I guess that would explain the recent uh, <laughs> Night of Too Many Stars. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, Comedy yeah, Central does their <laughs> annual telethon or whatever they want to call it for autism. Yeah. And this year, very much so, instead of, you know, br- toting out a bunch of kids, they focused on one kid mm. who, you know, was into music yeah. and specifically into Katy Perry music. <laughs> and, you know, they had this tear jerking video. I mean, like. <laughs> I'm tearing up just like thinking about it. It was so incredibly manipulative, but it worked, right? That was the point. And then, you know, they show how the program has helped her and how she's, and then, oh, what do you know? Katy Perry's going to come sing a song with her. And like, you know, not a dry eye in the house or, you know, in the viewing audience on TV. Just very masterfully done. And of course, then you've got Jon Stewart on stage, you know, can't, can't finish what he's going to say because he has to turn around just back to the audience and shed a little tear but you know these are the things yeah. you have to think about yeah. well I will plug one disease oriented doc that um, I know is coming out soon it's called Dying to Do Letterman um, and it's about a stand up comedian a professional working comedian who um, finds out I believe it's liver cancer that he has mm-hmm. and they give him you know three years to live or whatever um, and his name is Steve Maison. And so Steve, rather than making this, you know, about, hey, this is a funny guy who has cancer, he decides to um, take his, you know, his dream, his lifelong dream of being on The Letterman Show and taking it from being like a 10-year plan to get on the show, now he's got a deadline. You know, he wants to do it in a year. 
and he wants to do it in a way that doesn't capitalize on the fact that, you know, he has cancer. So it's a really, really interesting doc, done very well. Um, I believe Oscilloscope has picked it up, um, should be available on DVD and uh, VOD before too long, dying to do Letterman. All right, well, Charles, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Uh, thank you. Um, I recently moved from Austin back home to Atlanta, where I grew up, so I'm going to be much more involved with the Atlanta Film Festival coming up, uh, specifically coming up December 9th, 9th or 8th? The, 8th, December 8th. December 8th. Saturday, December 8th. Yes. Uh, go to atlantafilmfestival.com to read all about the uh, film festival strategy class that I'll be holding. It's actually a three-part class. You can register for any one of the three parts, um, teach you how to make sure your film is ready for the festival circuit, uh, how to uh, submit strategically to the right festivals for your film, and how to market your film at the festival once you get there. Uh, again, atlantafilmfestival.com. Check it out. Hope to see you there. Uh, Charles, where can people reach you online? Um, are you on the Twitters or stuff like that? I, I'm occasionally on the Twitters, but not as much anymore just because I'm so deep into the festival. Usually, if you just look me up on Facebook, I'm findable. Charles Judson. Charles at AtlantaFilmFestival.com. You can email me. Um, uh, something new will be coming up soon, so hopefully I can announce that. But right now, but that would be like, just email me, Charles at AtlantaFilmFestival.com. Best way to get to me. Alrighty then, uh, my name is Chris Holland, you can find me on Twitter as FFSecrets, and thanks for listening guys.